Our foreign policy is adrift. It has been for many years. We used to have a very clear-cut mission when we would get involved in entanglements overseas. We would be able to define victory in a very clear and measurable way. But in recent years, maybe not so recent, maybe in the last 50 years, we've strayed from that course, beginning with the conflict in Vietnam, which we thought at that time, when that ended, that we would never have a conflict last longer. Well, with Afghanistan, we've disproved that theory. America's longest running war has just effectively come to an end. And by all measures, historical and contemporary, we've waved the white flag in that battle. We have allowed the Taliban government to retake control over, over the country and effectively return that country back to a pre-September 11th status. Now, the Taliban tells us that they're a new Taliban, that there'll be no recrimination for dissenters, that there'll be a more open society, more respectful towards women, not be a breeding ground of terror. But the initial signs, just days after they've taken over, are not promising. Women are being told to wear burqas again. Suspected lawbreakers are being paraded out into the streets to be shown as an example for others. People are living in fear for their lives, desperately trying to get on those planes to go anywhere but be there. A lot of parallels, of course, between Kabul 2021 and Saigon 1975. The ramifications of this, we won't know for a while, but we will know if this country once again becomes a breeding ground for terrorist groups like Al-Qaeda. Now, we know that there are other countries in the world who are also breeding grounds for terrorism. So let's make no mistake, even if we were to secure Afghanistan and leave it in the hands of a pro-American government and a pro-American military, 300,000 some odd troops that we've trained over the last 20 years, there are other breeding grounds in the world for terrorism to train, to prepare, to plan and plot. So the threat, regardless of whether or not we were able to secure Afghanistan, still remains. But what does it say about American prestige? When we go into Afghanistan in October of, 20, of 2001 to root out al-Qaeda, starting off as a counterterrorism operation, which would then evolve into a nation-building experiment. We now look at Afghanistan and Iraq as two f examples of failures of our ability to nation build, to build countries in the Middle East fashioned after ourselves and our values. Two failures in that area. What started out as rooting out Al-Qaeda turned into us turning our backs on the very people to whom we've been trusting the last 20 years. How are they supposed to feel when an American force who helped train them for 20 years, who helped stand by to protect them, to help them stand on their own two feet, now pulled out the rug from underneath them? All the while, the Taliban were playing a waiting game with us, knowing that someday, some way, we would grow tired and that when we did, they can retake control with little to no resistance. 
Now, I heard it said that more Afghans have been killed at the hands of the Taliban than have Americans. Yet those same Afghans laid down their arms and basically surrendered when the Taliban retook Kabul. After all of these years, a waste of equipment, a waste of money, and most importantly of all, a waste of lives. And we've basically accomplished nothing. The Taliban is back in power. We're out. There is no certifiable Afghan government or Afghan military to counter the influence of the Taliban. And the Afghan citizens are pitted in the middle of it all, no longer receiving help from us and feared for, fearing for their lives under an oppressive Taliban that aims to control dissent, cover up women, deny them educational opportunities, job opportunities, and who knows what else. The details are to come, and we'll find out more. And we'll find out if they're true to their words when they say that they're a new Taliban so to speak, not to be a breeding ground for terror. You know, that was one of the conditions when Donald Trump signed the peace deal with them in 2020, that they would no longer allow for such activities to take place under their jurisdiction. But who are we to trust the Taliban when we know that they've lied before, when they've made these concessions before only to break them? It doesn't leave you feeling hopeful or very optimistic about the state of the Middle East. Nor does it leave you feeling very good about America's ability to positively impact the world. So the New York Giants today held a state of the organization press conference with John Mara, Dave Gettleman, not a whole lot of surprises in what they said. John Mara said some interesting things, such as uh, trusting in Joe Judge, believing that he's the right guy at the helm to lead this team, an assessment I tend to agree with. Talking about the offensive line, saying on paper, there's, you could see the potential, but they have to go out there and prove it. And until they go out there and prove it, nothing matters. That's also an assessment I agree with, and I liked the way that he said that. He showed a lot of faith in Dave Gettleman. He believes that the path that Gettleman has started this organization on is a good one. I would say that's a bit debatable. I will say this, though. I do feel better with Dave Gettleman making these personnel decisions as long as Joe Judge has an influence in those decisions as well. When you have Gettleman and Judge collaborating together on those decisions on how to build the roster, I feel a lot better about things. If Dave Gettleman was left to his own devices, I think you could make the argument the Giants are in not so good hands. Look at the three years Dave Gettleman was making those decisions before Joe Judge came along. I mean, he was a big part of the decision to bring Pat Shermer in here, and we all know how that worked out. Pat Shermer, while a good man, good football guy, knows a lot about the game, was not cut out to be a head coach, was not cut out to be that CEO type of coach that would command and control the locker room in the way that a head coach, especially in New York, needs to be able to do. Joe Judge has shown that he can do that, and that's precisely why he impressed so many people in the interview and why he's here now. 
So I do believe that Gettleman has made some good decisions, but I also believe that that has a lot to do with the presence of Joe Judge. Remember, Dave Gettleman never traded down in a draft until Joe Judge came along and was involved in that decision-making. And I think Joe Judge had an influence in why this past draft, they traded down. And as a result, they've been able to stockpile draft picks in future years to help build this roster even more and address the areas of need at that time. So I think Joe Judge had a lot to do with that decision. Since again, Gettleman had never traded down in his entire career in being involved in drafts all these years. So Joe Judge effect on Dave Gettleman, very good. Dave Gettleman standing by his decision to draft Saquon Barkley as early as he did. Um, That's debatable as well. We'll see what kind of career Saquon Barkley has. It's been very tough to evaluate him. He played two games last year. Uh, Before that, I believe he missed some time as well, if I'm not mistaken. He just hasn't had that consistent ability to stay on the field, nor has he had a very good team around him. Let's see how Saquon Barkley does now with a theoretically improved offensive line, other offensive weapons around him to take the focus off of him. Obviously, when you have a passing game that consists of Kenny Galladay, Kyle Rudolph when he's healthy, Evan Ingram as long as he doesn't drop the ball, Sterling Shepard in the slot, the more help Saquon has, the less the defense will be able to focus squarely on him. They won't be able to just stack up the box and wait for Barkley to come when you've got all these receivers you've got to defend against as well. So the jury's still out on Saquon. I believe he can be a great player, a great running back for this organization. I do believe, I do agree with Gettleman's assessment that he does have generational talent. The question is what it's always been. Will we be able to see him utilize those talents by being surrounded by other good players to take the pressure off of him and to give opposing defenses a lot more to think about? That'll be the big question heading into 2021. And again, not to digress here, but everything revolves around that offensive line. If Daniel Jones is going to be that franchise quarterback, if Saquon Barkley is going to be that franchise running back, it all starts and ends with the offensive line to be able to create holes for Saquon to run through, a pocket within which Daniel Jones can work so that he can find his receivers and deliver the ball to them. We all know that when Daniel Jones has a good pocket within which to work, he's one of the best and most accurate and efficient passers in the game. The statistics have shown that. Statistics have shown he has surpassed Josh Allen in many statistical categories, that he's comparable to some of the top quarterbacks in the league. Asterisk, when he has time, when he has a pocket within which to operate and allow for things to develop. And even though Daniel Jones is mobile, he's not Eli Manning, he's not a total statue back there, he does have escapability. He can turn negative plays into positive plays with his legs. They're counting on him for his arm most of all. And in order to be able to see how well he can showcase that arm, he needs a pocket. So please, Nick Gates, Will Hernandez, Shane Lemieux, Andrew Thomas, and Matt Pert, and any other reserve offensive lineman who will need to find time in this offense over the course of the year, which is an area the Giants are still assessing and working on as other players become available after roster cuts. Give Daniel Jones that pocket. Give Saquon Barkley those holes so that we can actually see if Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley are what 
proverbially, the back of their football cards say they can do. So we can see them do what they were drafted here to do. So getting back to Gettleman's original comment, I don't necessarily disagree with him, but we need to see what he's talking about. We need to see the offensive line create that opportunity for these franchise players to shine, along with all the additions that they've brought in over this past offseason. So after reading the comments of Mara and Gettleman, nothing here really that you could scratch your head about, I would say. You know, they, they, they said what you would expect them to say. They said what they were going to have to say. They're not going to come out and trash their own decision-making. These franchise draft picks to whom they've entrusted the future, they're not going to come out and show regret for those things. They're going to double down on those decisions and say, well, we believe we've got the formula in place. And by fortifying the offensive line, bringing in more skilled players on offense to take the pressure off Jones and Barkley, to give this offense a more balanced feel, and to surround them with competent coaches. They're banking on all these factors to come together in 2021. And John Mara has said he stopped short of a mandate, but he did say, I expect a winning football team. So the way I interpret that now with the 17-game schedule, he's looking for at least 9-8, and eight, right? A winning football team wins more games than it loses. So he's looking for nine wins is how I'm taking that. Again, stop short of the playoff mandate, but at nine and eight, you've got to expect them to be right in the thick of that playoff conversation. Maybe just on the outside, maybe on the fringe of it, depending on how, how things go in the division. Obviously, Washington's got a great defense. Questions about their offense. Dallas has a great offense. Questions about their defense. And then Philly is a complete wild card. Are they rebuilding? They have a whole new coaching staff. But they do have Jalen Hurts and Devontae Smith, two very good players on offense. Don't know who you can really point to on their defense. So Philly probably has the most questions of all throughout their roster. But you never know with the Philadelphia Eagles. They're always pesky, especially when they play the Giants. They're always that team, especially if they're going to embrace that underdog status that they have. If everyone's projecting them to finish last in the division, that might be all the motivation that they need to come out and shock people. So it won't be easy. It won't be easy. But first things first, we need this offensive line to allow us all the opportunity to see the franchise player, Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley, that the organization thinks they are. Let's see that talent come to fruition. But they won't be able to do that without help. Daniel Jones made a comment back in minicamp that some criticized him for, which I think was unfair. And I think his comments were spot on. That we all share responsibility to make this offense function well. He was right. Daniel Jones can't do it alone. Saquon Barkley can't do it alone. Everyone needs to do their job. And... Supposedly, that is the culture that Joe Judge is building here, that everyone needs to be doing their job, that we all need to be working as one. They've said that many times about the five guys up front. So we'll see. You know, talk, 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 talk is all we've heard. Hype, hype, hype. Meanwhile, there's been a lot of losing in Giants land over these last five years since they last played a playoff game. 
nine years since they last won the Super Bowl. And I know there's plenty of teams out there who've never won a Super Bowl, who've never even come close to sniffing a Super Bowl. So as Giants fans, we should consider ourselves lucky that there are four Lombardi trophies in our building. Other organizations would love to just be able to sniff one. So this once proud organization has really fallen off a cliff in recent years. And here's to hoping that everything that Dave Gettleman has done now in conjunction with Joe Judge over the last two years is, is putting this team on the right track. Let's not forget how we felt as Giants fans back in January after that Week 17 win against Dallas. What was the overwhelming feeling? What did John Mara feel? John Mara, before last season, had said that he needs to walk out of that building after the last game of the season feeling like this team is on the right track. Well, mission accomplished. He did, as we all did, feel like this team was heading in the right direction. And if you recall... The concern at the end of that game was not with the offensive line. Everybody's showing concern over that offensive line now because we haven't seen him play in so long, and rightfully so. That's where the concern should be because that's been the biggest weakness of this team over the years. But at the end of that game, there was nothing but optimism. And that included optimism over the offensive line. The offensive line played well in that game against Dallas. Played well against Dallas in that game. Now, Dallas's defense is not the 85 Bears, but they played well in that game. So we all felt at the end of that Week 17 win against Dallas, and always feels nice to beat them, kept them out of the playoffs, had a chance to win the division if Philly doesn't roll over that night and Hurts doesn't come out of that game. Maybe we're playing a playoff game the next week against Tom Brady. Who knows? But we all felt very optimistic. Now it's time to build on that optimism. Now it's time for the rubber to meet the road. Let's go and build upon what we've started and not take a step back. You know, I was thinking about this the other day. Somebody asked me, you know, what would you consider a success? What would, how would you define a good giant season? And I said, you know, I want to win more games than last year. I think that's a sign of continued progress when you can build on your win total from last year. We were 6-10 and 10 last year. I would hope we can get eight wins this year. If we could get nine wins and be a winning team, I'd be doing cartwheels. Where do I sign for that right now? And how will the fans feel? I think it depends on how much more than the six we get. If we get seven wins, I think you'll have a small contingent of fans feeling like we're on the right track, but you might still have a large majority of fans saying we didn't really show any progress. If we win eight games, then you'll have a larger contingent feeling like we're headed on the right track. And certainly if we win nine games and only lose eight, you'll have a vast majority of Giants fans feeling like we've made progress this year. So John Mara has said he wants to see at least nine and eight. I think it's fair for the fans to ask for nine and eight before they can sit here and say, yes, we are definitely on the road to progress. We are definitely on our way to being a big time contender in this league. But I think we've got to get to nine wins. Maybe you can get away with going eight and nine. But I think to really win over the large majority of Giants fans, you've got to look at nine and eight. 
Nine and eight, I think, is the barometer. That's a winning season. It's fringe playoffs, if not playoffs, for sure. And that's, I I think, how Giants fans are really going to feel like we are going in the right direction at nine and eight. Six and 10 last year to nine and eight this year is a pretty big jump. And if you think about it, could you look back on last year and say that there were three games maybe we were in a position to win? If maybe the ball bounces differently? Who knows? Maybe. Um, you look at that Bears game in week two where they completely shut out the Giants in the first half, but the Giants completely dominated the second half. Could you make the argument that's a game we should have won? Yeah, maybe. How about that Dallas game in Dallas when we came back from a big deficit took the lead, scored over 30 points that day, and then coughed up the lead late in the game and they beat us on a late field goal. Could you argue that should have been a win? Yeah. So there's eight and eight right there. Is there a ninth win that you could find on last year's schedule that maybe should have happened? How about that Rams game? That was very low scoring. We held that Rams offense, that highly touted Rams offense in check for almost the entire game. I think we only gave up 10 points. Had we had a little more offensive firepower that day, you think maybe we're able to trip up the Rams that day? Perhaps. So could there have been two to three more wins we could have gotten if our offense had showed up? Or like in that Dallas game, if our defense had showed up at the very end to preserve the lead? I think you could make the case we could have gotten eight or nine wins last year. But as Bill Parcells always used to say, you are what your record says you are. So we could talk all day about the coulda, shoulda, woulda had eight or nine wins. The fact of the matter is we are a six-win team right now until we prove otherwise. And so we are all looking for this team to make the leap this year and say they are no longer a six-win team. Now they truly are an eight or nine-win team. Not eight or nine hypothetical wins, eight or nine actual wins. And I think if that happens, you will have a very large contingent of Giants fans agreeing with John Mara and Dave Gettleman that this organization is well on its way back to prominence. But that's what we need to see. And enough talk about it, about improvement and flashes and potential, and go do it. Go get me eight wins or nine wins. I tell you, I'd be ecstatic with nine wins. Nine and eight, whew, where do I sign for that now? I will sign that in blood. Give me nine and eight. <laughs> but even eight and nine, I think you could make an argument, not as strong of an argument. But even eight and nine, you're saying, okay, they're, you know, nothing special, but definitely improved, definitely progressing. 500 team. And how the beauty of a 17-game schedule is there's no more 500 teams. You're either a winning team or you're a losing team. No in-between anymore, which is kind of cool. Just kind of cool. If you're 9-8, and eight, you're a winning team. You're 8-9, and nine, you're a losing team. That's the difference, right? There's no more 8-8 eight and eight bailouts. We'll be able to, at the end of this season, very conclusively say this team is a winning team or they are not. But I think even more importantly than that, do we feel like progress has been made? Can we sit here five months from now and say that? This team is back. They are back on the road 
to being a championship contending team again here in a couple years. So they need to keep taking those steps. So no surprises from the press conference today. Understandably doubling down on their past decisions, feeling like they've got the right coach at the helm, which I tend to agree with. But we'll see. You know, maybe Joe Judge's act grows thin if they don't start winning more consistently. All that talk about laps and discipline is going to get very tiresome and old if the wins don't follow. If this guy wins, especially if he wins a championship, bridges, skyscrapers will be named after this man. If he doesn't win, he'll become Dan Reeves. He'll become Ray Perkins. That's the difference here. You win in New York, you're immortalized. You lose in New York, you become just another footnote. And all of these tactics, you might want to call them, all of these methods, to put it more mildly, will be all for naught if they don't translate to wins. Now, interestingly enough, I don't think anyone's jobs are necessarily at stake. Before, I thought that maybe Dave Gettleman's job was at stake, depending on the performance this year. Now, I'm not so sure. John Mara gave him a vote of confidence today, although you could argue that whenever you see guys getting votes of confidence, (laughs) that could be the beginning of the end for them. It could be like Michael kissing Fredo. So we'll see. But there is, and the players and the executives have acknowledged this, a pressure on everyone. There is a pressure on everyone this year. There are expectations on every single individual this year, both the suits and the uniforms. You know, as Dave Gettleman said today, we don't do this to lose, right? Dave Gettleman has staked his reputation on rebuilding an offensive line that has been the Achilles heel of this organization for years. He's labeled them the hog mollies. He's had a very mixed record at best at getting successful offensive linemen to perform consistently. You're starting to hope and think, though, that with the Joe Judge influence from the last two years, that should change. And for fans who say that this organization has ignored the offensive line, I would just like to say one thing. Three of your starting offensive linemen this year were drafted in 2020. Shane Lemieux, Andrew Thomas, and Matt Pert. So you could sit here of the, and talk of the 2021 draft and say, why didn't they draft any offensive linemen? Well, maybe because they drafted three of them in 2020. And what kind of message does it say, does it send, when you draft three starting offensive linemen in 2020 and not 12 months later, draft more, draft new ones? How is Matt Pert, Andrew Thomas, and Shane Lemieux supposed to feel when their replacements have already been drafted for them? Even though those guys did not undergo much of a training camp last year, there was no preseason last year, and this is no small factor as well, there was an absolute carousel of offensive line coaches on this team last year, starting with Mark Colombo, who was rightfully fired after getting into a heated argument with Joe Judge, and I'll defend that decision to fire him all day long. You can't let some assistant, as a first-year head coach, you can't let some assistant chew you out and get away with it and get to keep their job. 
What kind of culture of accountability is that creating? What kind of message is that sending to your young players? So Joe Judge rightfully took command over that situation and sent a message that that kind of behavior was not going to be tolerated. Colombo was obviously unhappy about Dave DiGuglielmo coming in here and being in, in a consulting role. And then ironically enough became the offensive line coach after Colombo had been fired. DiGuglielmo, by the way, was also probably not the best fit because he admitted publicly that he doesn't like to coach rookies. He doesn't like to develop young offensive linemen. So you had their first offensive line coach who didn't necessarily see eye to eye with Joe Judge, and then their second offensive line coach who publicly acknowledged he doesn't like working with rookies and young offensive linemen. Well, we've got one of the youngest offensive linemen in the league. You have to have a coach who enjoys developing young guys. Enter in Rob Sale, who the offensive linemen have already started raving about because of his teaching abilities, his ability to develop young offensive linemen. He's got a track record of doing so in college. And, of course, he's eye-to-eye with Joe Judge, history with him. Joe Judge likes to bring in his guys. Rob Sale's one of them. So let's not forget all the headwinds that was facing this offensive line last year. The carousel of coaches, the lack of training time together, no preseason, first-year system, first-year head coach. I think it's prudent to rightfully give this offensive line another year to prove themselves. They're young, they're big, but they're inexperienced. They haven't had a lot of time together and they haven't been taught very well. And they've had to undergo a lot of turmoil themselves since joining this organization. So let's see what this year brings now with some more stability in that room, with guys having another year under their belt together and arguably the best offensive line coaches that they've ever had at the professional level. So that's my evaluation of things as we sit here August 17th, 2020. Alfred Morris was cut this morning. Not totally heartbroken over that, although I don't forget the contributions he made last year, but obviously they don't see a whole lot in him this year. Again, no real big surprises. What to look for now as they scour the open market and teams continue to cut players? What offensive linemen become available? And this is an ever-evolving thing. It changes literally by the hour. So it's something we'll be keeping an eye on. What, what more offensive linemen do they bring in to help bolster that depth because they are lacking bodies back there big time? And joint practices with Cleveland are about to commence here soon with a preseason game against them on Saturday where hopefully we will learn a lot more about this roster and the guys that we're depending on, leaning on heavily this year to bring us success. Hopefully it'll be a lot better than that game against the Jets this past Saturday. So we'll see. Ever evolving. It's exciting. This is why we do this. Keep an eye as this roster this team begins to shape itself and it's it's a work in progress it, it, it's an ever-evolving thing 
And with the shortened preseason, who knows? A lot of teams may not feel ready for the start of the season. Get ready because you might start to see a lot of sloppy football in weeks one and maybe even in week two as well. As we've got a shortened preseason, a lot more load management going on to borrow an NBA term. So, you know, whereas in the past, when I was growing up, when week one commenced, it was full bore. Teams had undergone at least a four-game preseason. Before I started watching the NFL, I believe the preseason was six games. So there was a lot of training time together, a lot of preparation for the beginning of the season. Nowadays, there's a lot less preparation by design. I mean, these players have come out publicly and openly in the past against the preseason. They don't like preseason games. They don't think anything good can happen in a preseason game. The only thing that can happen is getting hurt, jeopardizing your season. So these players want as little preseason time playing in game action as possible. How well that prepares you for the regular season, I would argue it doesn't prepare you very well. So expect some sloppy football at the beginning of the season. But hopefully, if we're going to play sloppy, we can still find a way to get some wins. Wins, wins, wins. That's what it's all about. Give me eight or nine wins this year, Giants. Be that winning team. That's John Mara's edict. And I think that's a reasonable expectation amongst all the fans as well. Let's see the wins. I'll close it out with this. As Bill Parcells used to say, stop telling me about the labor and show me the baby. Don't tell me how hard it was to go through the delivery. Show me that baby. Stop telling me about the process. Stop telling me about improvement. Stop telling me about flashes of potential. Show me the baby. Show me the wins. It's well past time. It's been far too long since we've had a winning season. And I think John Mara, with that expectation that he laid out today, is very reasonable and something we are all starving for. And I think with Joe Judge at the helm and one of the most talented rosters we've had in years, let's go do it. Let's go do it. Thanks for listening. Talk soon.